Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If you have a Bible with you this morning, maybe you could go to Psalm 67 for me. That would be good. I said a little bit earlier that I've come back quite expectant and you know it's got nothing to do with the fact that I ate too much and slept too long and enjoyed some sunshine and some family time. I I feel the Lord has spoken to me and I wanted to share with you some of the things that that he's just began and is beginning to open up my heart to and uh, I I think you know as as a pastor, as a leader, I was seeking God to come back this Sunday with something fresh and I'm hoping that this is of value to you. And um, in my kind of day-to-day reading through the scriptures, I found myself about 48 hours ago at somewhat early hours of the morning just reading through um, the Psalms and I came to this Psalm and I'm going to camp here with us today. Next week we'll start a new series but this is like a one-off Sunday where we don't have necessarily an agenda and I feel that this is the right thing to say to you because I feel it's the right time to say it. And I think that God wants to establish a couple of new thoughts in our, uh, our lives and uh, realities in our hearts. So Psalm 67, maybe we can read it together. It says, may God be merciful and bless us. Mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. And favor is getting what we could never deserve. The whole of this psalm hinges on this particular thought. It points to and draws us to a greater sense of clarity at the resource of God's heart and love for our lives. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. You see, left to your own devices, you deserved to be judged. But God, through His great mercy in Jesus Christ, has interrupted the judgment process and you now have a new outcome. You have not got what your sins deserved. Jesus got what your sins deserved. And now you have been offered what Jesus deserves, which is love and freedom and joy and, I believe, great, great abundance. And so this psalm starts reminding us, pointing us to the source of all that is good, it says, God, be merciful to us. And look what the outcome of that mercy is. The outcome, the outworking of that mercy is what? And? Yeah, bless us. If you are here today and you are a born-again Christian, you've given your heart to Jesus, you've repented of your sin, the source of all that is good in your life is God himself. And he has made for you the most incredible life available and afforded to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And that life is a blessed life. Do you know you can be so blessed you never get stressed? You can be so blessed that problems become opportunities. You can be so blessed in the way that you live with Jesus, that when obstacles come, they present you with opportunities to see God and know God and develop your relationship with God. For the Christian in this room this morning and those watching online, God's intentionality before you gasped your first rather bad breath this morning, before the teeth were cleaned and the cup of tea was had, God set his face towards you today to bless you. 
Well, three of us are really excited about that, Jesus. Thank God you died for us. What hope would we have? But God's intentionality for you today, in fact, every day, all day, without ceasing, is that you would live in the fullness of his blessing. Amen. So that's why when we come to church, we should be expectant. In fact, in every part of our life, we have to submit to that truth. God, you want to bless me. You want to bless me here. You want to bless me there. You want to bless my relationships. You want to bless my finances. You want to bless my family. You want to bless my whatever it is that you need blessing in. And you need to understand that that's God's intention. Whatever you think the will of God is for your life, I want, to, I want you to hear me clearly today. The overarching and the overriding will for God in your life is that you would be blessed. And if you doubt it, go to John 10.10 where Jesus says, I have come that you should have life and life in all its fullness. Now, the problem we as Christians have is that we have good theology, but we don't have good practice. So if I was to ask anyone in this room, is God good? You'd all nod and smile and wince or whatever is going on with you. Perhaps it's just wind. Because you can't disagree because the scriptures tell us that God is good. Amen. From cover to cover, his goodness to humanity is displayed. Over and over and over in every story, his goodness intervenes and rewrites the realities of people's lives. God is good all day, every day. Yeah? And you're all amening. But where is it in your life? It's one thing to have a belief system. It's a whole other thing to have its reality. And I'm going to come to that in a minute because God is consistently good. And if I'm not living in his goodness, then I'm living the lesser life than the one I was called to or the one Jesus has provided for me. Now you're going to say to me, Simon, we have problems. So did Jesus. We have enemies. So did Jesus. We have human difficulties, so did Jesus. But when you look at Jesus' life and you watch the way he lived, it would seem to me there was something otherworldly about him. And of course there was. He was living in the fullness of the blessing of the Father's favor. And when you live in the fullness of the blessing of the Father's favor, it matters not what people say. It matters not what people do because you are living above and beyond the human realities of broken lives. You're living in the beauty and the blessing of the one who delights in you. Is that not something worth amening for? Is that not something worth believing for? God wants to bless you. Now, I, if I was God, I'd have some questions. But you know, God is a benevolent God. He is generous he is gloriously generous, and God wants to bless you. You see, we think that the blessings are attached to our behaviors. The blessings are attached to our understanding of the nature and the person of God. Your behavior will never merit God's blessing. You can't buy God's blessing by being a good person. God blesses you because he's a good God. I'm going to keep going until some of you wake up. He's a good God. God be merciful unto us. And bless us. Your, your mercy manifests in us to the point where your countenance, your, your essence, your fullness 
becomes clear in our lives. May his face smile with favor upon us. I don't know if you've ever seen the delight on a man's face on the day of his wedding, but you cannot buy that. You cannot buy that. There are hundreds, often more than hundreds of people in the room, but the minute she turns up, let's hope it's still there 20 years down the road, but the minute she turns up, no matter how hard the man is, no matter how together he is, no matter how accomplished he is, in a moment, he becomes a withering wreck. Why? Because beauty has turned up. His world has turned up. His life has shown up before him. And he feels so blessed and so privileged and so rewarded. And his face tells the story. I remember once at KT, we were there for a while. There was this whole bunch of really good, aren't Nigerian people good looking? I knew all the Nigerians would say that. What about the Ghanaian people? Are they good looking? Yes. Anybody from Sierra Leone here? Any Irish people in? They're obviously the best looking, as you know. God's own family. There was this bunch of young guys. They were like suited and booted like you wouldn't believe. And they were all like high performers and had done great things. And we were marrying this young couple. And it was in Kew Gardens. If you're ever going to get married, Kew Gardens is lovely. And it cost hundreds of thousands of pounds for this wedding. And, um, and this guy was like, he was so articulate and so bright. And this is the groom, and you know. And she turned up. <laughs> and it didn't, it, nobody said anything. <laughs> she just turned up. Imagine having that impact on someone's heart and life. Imagine having that power over someone. When God sees you, he is moved to the core of his nature. When God sees you, all of heaven becomes available to you. When God sees you, that's why it says here, may his face smile with favor upon your life. Today, in this place, in my life, that's his heart towards me. That's his heart towards you. I don't know what the devil's been telling you about God or God's displeased with you or God's not happy with you. It's all a pack of lies. And you know why it's lies? Because he hasn't got a truth to tell. His truth is too bleak for him to embrace. So he tells lies to people. He stops them from believing the truth of Jesus Christ. But when God looks at you today like that man at the front, he is moved to the core of his being. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. You're not very happy about it, but he'll get, we'll get to the chorus in a minute. You move, you move him. You move him. You move him. And when you move him, you move everything he has. That day when that young lady turned up, everything he had, and he had lots, he was a high achiever, everything he had became available to her. When we see that reality in our lives, we start to understand what real favor looks like. And it's not getting the trinkets and treasures of this world as good as they are. It's having the affection 
of a father who delights in us, consistently gazing upon us with that delight and bringing forth from us all the beauty that he's placed within us. Somebody say amen to that. Verse 2. That they may be known upon the earth, that your ways may be known throughout the earth, your saving power amongst the people everywhere. Keep going. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May all the nations praise you, O God. May they rejoice in your goodness and give you the honor you deserve. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God our God will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us. Why don't you say that out loud? God. Yes, God will bless us. And the people all over the world will fear him. Next one, please. That's it, okay. Two things the Spirit said to me 48 hours ago need to change. Two things that I think are a priority in this season for you and for me and for us as a community. The first thing is this, our understanding and our perception of the nature and the character of God. You know, I think it needs an upgrade. Now, here's how this happens. God is a mystery. And he reveals to us attributes of his nature. So the day you became a Christian and submitted to the reality of God, you saw mercy. You saw grace. You saw kindness. The Bible puts it this way. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. In other words, we had a turning around because we saw him. And he's so kind and he's so generous. He's so merciful, so compassionate towards us. But you know, there is more to God than just mercy. Do you know that God is extremely powerful? God has a power and authority that has a dominion over this reality. And maybe, just maybe in this season, you who have known him as the God of grace and mercy can have an upgrade in your understanding of him where you see him move in power in your heart and through your life. Maybe that's the invitation attached to the adventure that lies ahead. For some of us in this room, we have known him as the father who delights in us. And we've been for a long time caught up with that, that childlike faith that just defers every decision we make, whether we park a car or date a lady, everything is your will. Now God wants to grow you so he won't ignore you whenever you're living like that. He'll put challenges before you so that he can expand your territory and make you more like him. And sometimes you'll be faced with a situation and he doesn't seem to answer it because he wants you to make a choice. He trusts you enough with what you've learned from the past to make a good decision about the future. But if you're locked into that childlike approach to relating to God, you won't grow in those moments and you'll think that God has abandoned you. And the enemy will come in like a flood and start telling you, you did this and you said that and you're out of the will of God. No, no. What's happening is God is giving you an opportunity 
to grow in your understanding of his nature and his character. God does not need voice-activated robots. He's looking for friends. Friends. There's not a person in this room or listening online that doesn't need to consistently upgrade their understanding of the person we know as Jesus Christ. Everlasting to everlasting is his love. He lives in us and with us, and yet we do not inquire of him what that really should mean to us. You and I in this season will be required of God because there are new places he wants to take us to see him a little bit differently than we do right now. And there are upgrades all over our lives waiting for our partnership to come. I don't know if you have one of these. Does anybody have one of these things? Oh, what a wretched thing this is. <laughs> Do you know, I, I found out last week that while I was on holiday, and I made a purpose effort to put this away, that I am spending or was spending up to four hours a day on my phone. And you know, I'm conservative. Some of you, you think this is your sixth finger. It's consistently at the end of your hand. Your whole life is lived in it and through it. But you know, I have zero capacity for technology. But my wife, a couple of weeks ago, said to me, you know, you've got all these upgrades that you need to, to click, you know, because all the software changes and they keep bringing out new phones and all of that kind of stuff. And the last time I did that, the whole thing went kaput. I couldn't work out how to use the phone. And I'm quite happy with it the way it was. I didn't need any upgrades, thank you very much. But if you don't do the upgrades, what happens in time is your, your phone becomes less and less functional. Is that true? Do you know the same is true of your spirit? If you're not consistently growing, if you're not consistently experiencing God, your faith will become dysfunctional. It will have deficits in it. And the Bible teaches us this in so many ways that we should be ever-changing from one degree of glory to the next. And you see, because this is a relationship thing, God longs to reveal to us who he is. So we have to upgrade our relationship with him. We have to upgrade our understanding of him. We have to upgrade, consistently upgrade, our experiences with him. Because without that, here's what happens. You will backslide. That's why it says in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day, not weekly bread, not yearly bread, not decade bread. Give us this day, a daily bread. Why? Because if I'm not living in this consistent, revelatory exploration and adventure with God, my heart will become hard. My heart 
will cease to want what it used to want, and it will want other things. And it's not that God doesn't care about that, but God is always moving. I think it's the biggest problem we have as Christians is Jesus is always moving. God is always leading us somewhere. God is always taking us to life. I have to choose to engage with the process or I disengage. And if I don't upgrade my understanding of him, I'll stand at the door of an opportunity and I'll think it's the devil because I feel uncomfortable. I feel a little bit out of my comfort zone. Who told you this was going to be comfortable? Jesus said you will have problems and hardships in this world, but take heart. In other words, know who I am in here and you will overcome all such matters. Amen? But if my heart is not closely connected to the reality of the Spirit in that way, I will find change impossible. And yet, we are to be ever-changing from one degree of glory to the next. Let me tell you one way I've noticed how God brings about change when I am resistant to it. He allows things in my life to become difficult. Uh, have you noticed that you pray more whenever you have problems? Have you noticed that? This little trick I think he's got up his sleeve. He allows certain things to happen. Have you noticed that if you bind the devil, he's not bound in those moments? Because it's not the devil who's disrupting. God has this process. He deconstructs all of the things that for a season were right for us to have. Because he wants to reconstruct with us a better future for us. And you only and I only, the majority of us through, only change whenever we have to. Whenever there's no option. What about this? What about if we change because we wanted to? What about if we change because we know that that's God that's leading us to life? See... If I don't know him as a benevolent father, if I don't understand that the plans he has for me are good to prosper and to bless me, if I have no comprehension that the end is better than the beginning, if I don't really fathom or, or come to terms with the fact that every single day of my life he wants me to live in blessing, I will feel challenged when God begins to deconstruct some things. You see, these things are just temporal. What he offers us is something eternal. And I have to walk with the spirit in my spirit towards a future I cannot see with my natural eye. But I know, I know that I know that my God is leading me into an inheritance. I know that there's a promised land for me. I know that there's more. There's always more in the kingdom of heaven because God is the God of exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you could ask or imagine right now. And today is the beginning of your more. It's the beginning of the abundance. It's the beginning of the manifestation of the reality of what God wants to do in you. And you can camp here all you like. And you do, and I do. But we need our eyes to be lifted above our personal comfort to a place where he says, God, I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Stop leaning on your logic. It doesn't work in the kingdom of heaven. It's completely illogical. Twenty-something years ago, I was minding my own business there. And a guest speaker turned up in this church and he said to me, God is taking you out of the background and putting you into the foreground. I used to call that man a friend. 
Gypsy William Lee was his name. One of the best evangelists in our country. And I'd known him for a number of years and we'd done things together. And I was in that little room there and he said to me, God is taking you out of the background and he's moving you to the foreground. Well, you know, it was just another Sunday to me. I thought, oh, well, all right then. Within 48 hours of that conversation, I get a phone call. And it's from a gentleman called Kevin Pete, who's now a friend of mine. I hardly knew him at the point. I'd gone up to Scotland. I'd done some youth work. Stuart couldn't go, who was the pastor here. They wanted him, and I've always been second helpings. So he sent me, and I'd met Kevin. He was the regional leader for Scotland at the time. And uh, he called, and he said, look, this is really strange, um, but I wanted to ask you, would you pray about coming to Glasgow to be my successor 48 hours after the prophet spoke? Yeah? Who wants to live in Glasgow? Not even the Glaswegians want to live in Glasgow. And we immediately, as you would naturally, said, don't be daft. Well, we, we said, here's what you say. You don't say, don't be daft. You say, we'll pray about it. <laughs> Which is loosely, don't be daft, really. And um, I remember saying to Jane when I got off the phone, we, we've had this sequence of events. They're like patterns in our lives. We put, we'd been decorating a house. We're always decorating the house. It was the last room to decorate, and it was the firebreast, and I put the wallpaper on, and the phone went. There's relevance to this. And it's almost like we'd completed what we needed to complete, and I, for the 48 hours after this, while we prayed and discussed, we said, well, look, we don't want to shut the door. We don't know what, whether it is or God's will, but we like Kevin. Kevin's good crack. He's good fun, and he loves Jesus, and it would be good to kind of be with him a little bit in the transition. So let's meet with them. Well, Margaret and Kevin turned up at our house and Erica close around the corner there. And uh, the minute they walked into the room, the minute they walked into the room, the presence of God came. And we just had Emily, she's a tiny little baby, and we began talking and he began sharing his heart about God and that God is a father and the things they'd been experiencing in Glasgow and all that kind of stuff. And he's, as they left, I looked at Jane and I thought, how can we not go? How can we not go where God is doing that? I started talking to friends and family and they'd say, don't be daft. Glasgow, you're going to need 15 layers of clothes in Scotland, Simon. You know, it rains there 24 hours a day. And just about every negative thing that you could imagine, people said about us moving to Glasgow. I went to a friend of mine who was a leader in the church and I said, you know, what do you think about this This." Uh, invitation and, and this person said to me, oh, you'll never be a senior leader of a church. You're not really a senior leader of a church. I, I would love to tell you that it bothered me. It didn't. I thought, well, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't want to be a senior leader of a church, but I do think there's something about this. We went up to Glasgow. We got lost in the city of Glasgow. It was Jane's 30th birthday, and we traveled up the six hours up the road, and we ended up finding vaguely where the church was, and as we came into the area of the city where the church was, it's called Govan Hill, a fight broke out at the traffic lights because Celtic and Rangers happened to be playing on this very day. And uh, 
this guy got thrown through a window. We were sitting in the traffic like Emily in the back of the car. And this guy comes out of the window and this whole bunch of people and they're out brawling on the street. And uh, I said to Jane, just keep, we'll just keep driving. I don't know where we are. Surely to goodness this isn't where the church is. This can't be where the church is. And we go literally 100 yards and there was the church. <laughs> we went to this meeting. There were some bizarre things happening in the meeting we hadn't seen before. And, but the presence of God, and I just wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. And of course, history turns on very small decisions. You see, what William Lee didn't know is that we had sensed that God wanted to do something new. What people didn't know is that God had began to birth in us a sense of doing things slightly differently than perhaps we had been used to. What others didn't see or recognize was a heart that just longed to be where God was moving powerfully. And of course, all of those things made the decision seem right. Everybody else thought it was wrong. Today, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a secret in the kingdom. God will make you uncomfortable where you are to take you where he needs you to be. We had an assignment for a season in Glasgow. And we were called and commissioned by God to a city we had no connection to. For his purposes. And if you don't understand that that's how God works. I'm really sorry for you. But God will often allow things to become too difficult for you to stay where you are. So he can lead you to where he needs you to be. Why? Because he's the God who wants to bless you. To give you a hope and a future. And you cannot have the blessing unless you make the journey. You have to move towards it. So your perspective and my perspective of God in this season really needs an upgrade because God is about to take us on an adventure. And if you have a small God or a God who does things in a particular way in your mind, you're going to get very uncomfortable as he expands your territory. Your territory is not external initially, it's internal it becomes internal first. The second thing that God told me we need to do is we need to stop being passive in the, in the blessing process. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I come from a, a Catholic background, okay? So when I was a child, I grew up in the Catholic church. always had a reverence for God, but didn't have a relationship with him. At 24, got saved, radically saved, come out of a life of homosexuality, got married, now in leadership in a church. All of those things were way beyond me back then to even imagine were possible. But the reality is that in my heart of hearts, I don't really or ever have really prayed for myself. I don't pray for blessings to come to me. In fact, I feel uncomfortable with this whole thought. But when I was away on holiday, God said to me, you cannot be passive in the working in and working out of the blessing that I long to bring to your life. You must be proactive in it. And so when was the last time that you prayed for God's blessing to come to your life? When was the last time you prayed for increased favor on your life? When was the last time you prayed 
for the plan of God, with all the great things attached to it, for it to become a reality to you. Now, I think there are some people who probably do that, but for the vast majority of us, we think it's our duty to pray for other people's blessing or for other people to get, you know, what God has for them to do. But you are the gatekeeper between what God wants to do and what is happening here on the earth. And if you don't align your mouth and your heart with what God wants to do, you are cutting off the blessing that God wants to bring to your life. You have to partner with him. With two or more agree on something, it shall come to pass. You cannot be an innocent bystander where your blessing is concerned. Your blessing is crucial. It's significant and it's powerful that you are blessed because of God's nature to be really manifest in us we need to live in the blessing that he has for us and if I'm not living in the blessing that he has provided for me I am cutting off the oxygen over my own life and I am ceasing to impact the world the way he created me to God today right now wants to bless you and he has chosen in his wisdom to subject that process, the manifestation of that process, to your partnerships in prayer. You should be praying for your blessing. You should be seeking your blessing. You should be positioning yourself for your blessing. You should be aligning yourself with your blessing. Let me ask you the question. You're looking at me like I'm saying something terrible to you. Okay? Does God want to bless you? Where is it? Where is it? If God is, that's his heart and that's his intention, where is it? What's stopping it? Me. Because I'm not seeing clearly the significance of that. God wants to bless you. We'll come on to the other attributes of that. His blessing is this phrase. Can you put the scripture back up for me, please? It says, may your face shine or smile upon us. The, the phraseology here is the favor has now become manifested. And between God's intention and your reality, you have the power to come into partnership to see that become manifest. You have the power. I have a limited power to pray blessing over your life. This is your life, it's your walk with God, and you have been given the mandate from heaven to bring the blessing that Jesus has provided for you down into the realities of your life. And what do I mean by blessing? How about this? How about a mind that's not just absent from problems, but full of the power and the presence of God? Wouldn't that be a blessing? Come on, you miserable beggars, I'm not going to stop until we get there. So speed it up, catch up. You have a dull mind through sin and fear, and he wants to bring brilliance to your mind. There are dreams and visions and inventions and experiences that your mind is limiting right now, and he wants your mind to be filled with the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is not just a mind free from sin. It's a mind full of the knowledge of God. Do you want the fullness of the knowledge of God? You can be blessed with that. You should be seeking that. You should be praying that. What about your relationships? How are they going? It's not until you go on holiday that you know what the problems are. It's like Christmas, isn't it? 
We all play happy families until we turn up around a turkey. There's something about a turkey brings out evil in people. I'm convinced of it. You see, we can avoid people. <laughs> we can manage the family. We can manage certain things. But you know, that's an inferior reality. God wants to bless your relationships. You miserable beggars, he does. He wants you to have a really good marriage. Let's start there. Like, put that down for a minute. Now, what do I mean by that? It's one thing to start out well, like the young man of the story I told you. It's a whole other thing to end well. Have you noticed as people journey together, they become like each other? We have some friends and they wear the same colors to church. Either the wife is coordinating, which is possible because I've met her, or it's just they've grown to like similar things. That happens over time. Your sense of identity merges with another person's reality and you start to... Have you ever been with an older couple and she finishes his sentences? I always think it's safer in my house because the outcome is always what's desired. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. Let's do this. I always have the last word in every argument. Yes, dear. It's so important to us that we're not incidental, accidental Christians walking through this world hoping to somehow bump into blessing. But we should take seriously the invitation of God to partner with him until those blessings become a reality. This went much better in the first service, didn't it? Is it because you're all warm? It's going to be warmer in hell. I just want to say that out loud. <laughs> so let's make sure we all get to heaven. That's all. You're going to be a bit more uncomfortable in hell than you are here with this. Is that, I'm just going to say that to you. Sorry. <laughs> the good thing about being in hell is if you smoke, you can light it anywhere. You don't have to look for a match or a light or anything. Okay. <laughs> light it where you like. Is it possible that the thing you pray for or hope for or dream for is not manifesting in your life because you haven't seen the significant role you pay as a gatekeeper to make it come to pass? Is it possible that the breakthrough that you want, you just thought would happen somehow in a prayer meeting or somebody would prophesy and you didn't recognize that you had a significant part to play in pursuing that breakthrough and aligning your heart in readiness for it to come? Is it possible that the blessing that God desires to smother and saturate your life with is actually being restricted by your lack of partnership with him to see it come to pass? You see, the wonderful thing about God is this, and it's tragic and wonderful in the same breath because I wish he didn't do this. God has subjected the advances of his plans and his purposes and his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. You see, if I want to live in the blessing, I've got to pursue the blessing. Now, when I speak of blessing, I'm not talking about empire building. I'm not talking about you having millions in the bank because you can have millions in the bank and nothing in your heart. I'm talking about the benevolence and the goodness and the kindness and the blessing and the fullness and the radiance and the majesty of God touching and changing and showing up in the way you think 
and the way you act and the way that you live here on earth. And that's what God wants to do. And you stand between heaven and earth with his heart and his intention. And you have power in your tongue and in your life to release the goodness of God or to cut it off. And if you're ignoring what I'm saying to you because you think it's too far-fetched, I'm going to show you something now that I've never seen before. Look at verse 6. It says, Then the earth will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will richly bless us. Do you know that the earth yielding its harvest is subject to you living in your abundance? The earth, when the people of God are living in the fullness of the blessing Jesus has provided for them, has to surrender its wealth and its ways to the kingdom of heaven. When Peter walks past the man who is blind and he is healed instantly, it's because of that reality. The manifest blessing and presence of God was so tangible on Peter's life that all the laws of nature and sickness and disease submitted and surrendered to it. Jesus models this for us whenever he tells the waves and the wind to stop wooding. There are laws in the universe and on the earth and in nature, but they are laws placed there by God himself and he and he alone has the power to disrupt that and change that and override that at any time he wants. Who gets to tell the waves and the wind to stop blowing? Well, of course, the one who created them. And so Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and he tells it to stop. It seems ridiculous to us. How could a person tell the waves and the wind to stop? Let me tell you why. Because when you're living in the fullness of the blessing... When you're inheriting everything that God has for you, when your life is saturated and smothered by God's goodness, nothing on this earth, nothing in this earth has that same level of power and it has to submit to the reality of the presence of God. It has to submit. So your blessing is not just about you, it's about the earth coming into alignment with the purposes of God. In Luke chapter 4, I think it's Luke chapter 4, bear with me, no, it's John. Jesus says to his disciples, you save four months until the harvest. And what he's saying is, you have now grown accustomed to the seasonality of sowing and reaping. But he then adds to that, look up. In other words, adopt a new perspective. The fields are already ripe unto harvest. You see, when I'm living in the fullness of the blessing of God, my perception of things radically changes, and what looks off limits becomes highly available to me. In God's economy, he has made all of the earth subject to his voice. And you and I become the agents where that voice is exercised to his purpose. When you see a person that is sick and they've got a disease and you pray for them, if you notice that you have to say something for people, you say something over people, what's happening is the natural 
chemical interactions with sickness, cancer, whatever it is, has to submit to the supernatural because the supernatural, the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God has more power. And if you look at Jesus' life, everywhere he went, he demonstrated that reality to us. A couple of weeks ago, we had an unusual season in the life of this church because the natural caved into the supernatural. It was an ordinary Sunday. We didn't come here with any great expectations of a move of the Spirit. But something happened that was heavenly. And in that meeting, there were a number of people lying on the floor at the front, weeping in the presence of God. They may have not come, I don't believe any of us came, with any great sense that God was going to do anything different than happens most Sundays. But in an unusual way, because he triumphs over the natural, his supernatural power came and it broke in on us. I don't know whether you're living in a desert or a mountaintop. I don't know whether you're going through the valley of the shadow of death or you're living your best life. But your circumstances do not mean that what God wants to do is off limits. Sing, O barren woman, sing. The circumstances, do you know what I am, Jesus? What's happened to me? I can no longer bear a child. Sing, O barren woman, singing. Why? Because the supernatural triumphs over the natural every time in the kingdom of heaven. And if I'm not walking with God in that way, I'm letting the natural triumph over the supernatural. I have to be intentional. I have to be courageous. I have to align myself to this constant truth that God wants to bless. Even in my brokenness, God wants to bless. You know, there's a scripture that says he causes there to be streams in a desert place. I don't know if you've ever been in a desert, but it's ridiculous. You know, the one thing that isn't in a desert is streams. Everything else, carcasses, heat, sweat, blood, tears. In a desert place, he causes there to be streams that break forth. Why am I telling you this? Because unless I understand that that's the kind of God I'm walking with, unless I come into partnership with that reality, I am always going to be subjected to the natural. I am never going to live in the reality of the supernatural power of God. I'm going to let my circumstances dictate my reality. I am telling you today that God is going to move in this church and it's going to require of you and me a whole new mindset to accommodate what he wants to do. And I don't want to restrict him by my small thinking. I want my mind to be open to all that God wants to do. And I'm sure that you want to be blessed. And if you want to be blessed, you need to pursue him and his presence and allow that blessing to become manifested in your life. Why? Why, Pastor? Why? Because all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. When the unusual things happened a few weeks ago, I think we made the mistake of jumping to conclusions. It's a common fault in the church. It's this, it's that, it's the other. I, I, I didn't think, if I'm honest at the time, in spite of what people were saying, um, that we were about to break into some massive revival. But what I'd sensed from the Holy Spirit was that he was awakening something in us of renewal. 
And renewal is about restoration. Renewal is about us coming back to our first love. Renewal is about us being in the place of intimacy and connectivity with God. Why? Because everything flows from that. Everything comes from that. The unusual was that people were getting saved who really we weren't trying to save, which I think is helpful to pay attention to. So a number of reports came to me that people in adult conversations were asking questions about Jesus. Do you know that in the sowing and reaping, when it comes to salvation, there has to be a sowing. Only God reaps where there's been no sowing. There has to be a sowing for there to be a reaping. But what was happening was this. God was trumping all of the natural order of things to show us an aspect of his nature and his character that we need to come into. And that, that the suddenly God, the God who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, breaking in on us in all kinds of supernatural ways. If your paradigm of God does not permit that to happen, you are going to miss some of the things that God wants to do. There's a prophecy that says a billion souls will come in an end time harvest. That prophecy has sat around for a number of years. Um, the figures change, but the intention is the same. And it comes out of the heart of scripture which says that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But I believe that the key or one of the major keys to that end time harvest is God's people understanding, comprehending, perceiving that their role in that process is to live in the blessing of God. That's their role. And he will prosper the world. They will be blessed by the favor that's placed on your life. And if you're not living in favor, if you're not living in blessing, you are cutting off the blessing that is the inheritance of the nations. Six times today, in my thinking, I'm reminded of this reality. Six times today, the number six is a human number, um, and it's a human problem. And here's the problem. You see, I don't realize, and neither do you perhaps, that my life, in many ways, has a greater cause than just my own blessing. I don't recognize that other people's lives and livelihoods and blessings are interdependent on the fact that I'm living in the blessing of God. And I've noticed the opposite. When I'm in blessing, I've noticed that other people can't help but be blessed. I've noticed that that blessing has no parameters or restrictions to it. It seems to be able to go wherever God wants it to go. And wouldn't it be interesting for us to understand that while this sounds like a selfish prayer, and I think for me that's my struggle with it, Actually, our prayer is far more profound than we realize when we say, God, bless me. When you bless me, God, you will bless me to the point where my life will be a blessing to others. And when my life is a blessing to others, they will see that you're good. They will see that you're the God who delights. They will see that you're the God who cares. They will see through my life what you can't or they can't see 
through their blinded eyes right now. They will see who you are. They'll see what you're like. They'll see your intentions and they'll see your heart. You're standing in the way and I'm standing in the way. If I'm not pursuing or aligning my heart or expecting or praying, I'm standing in the way of other people seeing Jesus the way Jesus needs to be seen. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that strikes a chord in me that's so deep, I can't tell you how uncomfortable I am with that thought. And for that reason, if for that reason alone, I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to this community, God wants to bless you. Will you, for heaven's sake and for earth's redemption, Get into partnership with that agenda. God's manifesto. Jesus said it before he did a single miracle. He said this. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. For he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To open the eyes of the blind. To set captives free. To proclaim the favor of God. Jesus at that point had not performed any miracles. He'd not done anything whatsoever of any notoriety that the scriptures tell us about. But what he's doing is he's calling forth the manifesto of heaven here on earth. God wants to bless people. He wants people's lives to be good for heaven's sake. It's the devil who wants you to have a hard time. It's God who wants you to have a good life. Do not get them confused. Do not allow yourself to be bewitched by those truths. If you think you're suffering right now, bring it to God and say to him, God, you promised me a blessing. And if this ain't the devil, then it might just be you making me uncomfortable so I move towards the fullness that you have for me. Do you know, I think sometimes we've bound the devil and it's actually God doing something in our lives. And sometimes we think it's God doing something in our lives and we've not realize that the devil is trying to stop what God wants to do in our lives. You know, we partner with the devil far easier than we partner with God. We believe lies far quicker than we believe truths. We submit to the decay and the brokenness of our human past far more than we do to the reality that we are new creatures in Christ and the old has gone and because God has done a whole new thing. I'm going to get passionate in a minute and you want to watch out for that. It might keep you from your turkey dinner today. It's so important. This is so important you and I cannot, should not, please don't stand in the way because of our lack of understanding. Stand in the way of the blessing God wants to bring to the nations. We cannot afford that. That's too high a price to pay. And your family, your family, your friends, they need you to be blessed. They need you to be blessed because as you are blessed, they are blessed also. And the inheritance of God is that you would be highly blessed, that you would live in favor, that your life would be enriched in every which way possible to the point that when you walk into a room, every inferior reality has to bow its knee and its tongue has to confess the reality of God. That's our invitation. And that's the Holy Spirit's administration. And that is the manifestation of what God wants to do in your life. But I'm going to say this last thing and we're going to go home. Don't worry, I won't keep you much longer. When I was praying about this and thinking about this, here's what God said to me to tell you. He said, tell them to stop asking me to do something. And I thought, wow, what does that mean? Do you know, this is where I came to with my understanding with this. At some point, when you've kept asking God to do something, 
it becomes offensive to the Holy Spirit. And it becomes offensive because what you're doing is not understanding that He has already begun something. When you ask, you shall receive. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be opened. He's not going to shut it in your face. And church, listen, there's a season now where we have to stop asking. And here's the other invitation attached to it. We have to start declaring. We have to say, the blessing is here. The blessing is now. The blessing is for me. I'm going to get it somehow. The blessing is given. The blessing's being released. The blessing is upon me. It's fullness to be realized or recognized. My healing is now. My freedom is now. My relationship problems are now under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's at work in my life. Yeah? My salvation is here. It's right up front. It's working itself out in me. And it's going to work itself out through me. And we have to stop, stop, stop begging like orphans. A God to do something who delights already to give you good gifts. If you ask for bread, would he give you a stone or a snake or a scorpion? Absolutely not. It's not in his heart to make it difficult. He would pour out his spirit on anyone who seeks him. And today I'm telling you two things need to change. The way we perceive who God is and all that he can do and wants to do. And the second one is this. We need to partner with him in prayer and declaration until his kingdom's manifesto begins to materialize in our lives. Stand with me, please. Lord Jesus, I've done my best to share what you have shown me. There's so much more to it. I know it'll grow in me. I pray, Lord, it will also grow in us as a community. And Lord, I want to ask you, please, to blow our minds. And what I mean by that, Lord, that's a, a colloquial term. What I mean is to expand our territory to the north, the south, the east, and the west, that we would have a mind that was saturated with your brilliance, that was overwhelmed by the possibilities of God, that lived in hope and joy and expectation. Lord, whatever in our mind, because it's our mind that leads our life, whatever in our mind, Lord God, that's restrictive, that's con you know, been conditioned by disappointment, I break the power of those things over our minds in Jesus' name. Every neuropathway that the devil has sought to invade where we think small and we act small and we stop believing and we stop understanding and we stop expecting, Lord God, I bind that lie in the name of Jesus Christ and I release your people to abundance in their brain, Lord God, abundance in their thinking, abundance in their emotional well-being, abundance in their physical well-being, abundance, 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 Lord, in every part of their lives, saturated from the top of their head to the soles of their feet with the reality of the countenance of the God who is good and powerful and capable and able and here and with us and for us and even goes before us and prepares a table in the midst of our adverse circumstances. You are good and you are great, God, and you are here and you are now and you are with us and you are for us and no weapon fashioned against us could ever prosper could ever prosper Jesus come on could ever prosper Jesus and God I see you stretching the corridors of people's minds 
pushing back the parameters of our understanding. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of the mind of a man what God has prepared for those who love him. God, I'm letting go of the past because the past can become a restricted to the future. I've seen moves of God, but Lord, they don't define the reality of this moment. They have just simply educated me enough to see that you're doing something fresh and new. My blessings sometimes in the past hold me to the past. I have a romanticism about what was and I have no appetite for what is. The other group of people in this room are the people who believe it's all in the future. In one day, somehow, in some way, God is going to pour out his spirit. No, Lord, this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. We're not living in the past and we haven't yet reached the future, but we have today. And we're turning the key of praise. We're turning the key of praise. We're turning the key of praise. We're declaring a new day has come and is here and is upon us for God where the greatness and the majesty and the power and the glory and the and the wonder of God is here it's here amongst us and we will rejoice we're going to rejoice we're going to celebrate what you're doing here God you did what you did there and you'll do what you do over here but Lord God this day is the day when we align our hearts to say I'm seeking you and your kingdom in all its fullness in the precious name of your son Jesus Christ for you desire to bless me God your plans are to prosper and to fulfill the dream of your heart for my life. Why would I be passive? Why would I live in the past? Why would I be overwhelmed by a future when I can live today with bread from heaven and taste and see that the Lord is good? Some of you have given up praying for yourself. Uh, you pray for the nations and you pray for your family and you pray for your circumstances, perhaps other things externally, but you've stopped somehow believing that God wants to bless you. Some of you have prayed this prayer. I can hear it in the secret place. God, have you lifted your favor from my life? I want to tell you it's a lie. Can you hear me? It's a lie. God couldn't love you any more than he loves you right now. And tomorrow, whether you get it right, you get it wrong, he wouldn't love you any less because his relationship with you has never been based on your performance with him. It's not you who are good, it is he who is good. Amen? So Father, we renounce the lies and the strategies of the enemy. Hope deferred makes the heart grow faint. That's where some of us have lived for a while. But a longing fulfilled is like a stream of life Lord, I pray that manifestation will come right now of that reality. That the sick heart will be made well in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. And now I want you to open your own mouth. And I don't want you to ask him for anything. I want you to declare over your life, to decree over your life and perhaps the lives of those you love, the blessings of God. Just do that, would you please, for a moment, practice it. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to do this every day. Just decree. Move beyond asking to decree and declaring. If that's declaring, you're very passive in it. I would be a little bit more. Come on. Where are our African brothers and sisters? Come and help us. Come and help us. You know how this works. Just decree a thing. Just declare a thing. I decree healing in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree 
freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. I, I decree hearts will be made whole in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree today, Lord God, that liberty will come to those who have been captive by all sorts of things. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would make manifest the reality of your provision for us. The blood speaks of a better way. That better way is a bay of abundance, Lord. We are no longer orphans tossed about like slaves, Lord, working it out. We are here as sons and daughters with a rich inheritance in Jesus Christ. We call it forth in Jesus' name. I bind up all generational curses and I release all generational blessings. I pray, Lord God, you would flow into our lives in such a powerful way that the world would recognize that you are with us and you are for us and they will come under the auspices of your plan to make all things new. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, because that's the truth. Be glory in the church, that's you, and in Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. I decree over this house as a gatekeeper that this is a season of abundance and blessing. I decree it for you. I decree it for me and my family. I decree it and I decree it for the city because unless the church rises in fullness, the city will not see the realities of God. The whole earth has been created by him and for him. And every knee will have to bow when we carry the blessing and the privilege and the stewardship of that blessing to our friends and our family. They will cave in and yield their lives to Jesus Christ. Lord, now bless your church as we step into our week. In Jesus' name, amen.